Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of the Holding the Ladder in Sport and Leadership podcast. I'm your host, Tim Rice, and today's guest is Joanne McCauley. She's been an NCAA Division I head women's basketball coach at Maine, Michigan State, and Duke. She also has head coached her teams to 628 wins during her 28-year head coaching career and has also head coached the under-20 women's national team to the 2006 FIBA Americas Championship, as well as the under-21 women's national team to the 2007 FIBA World Championship. She was the National Coach of the Year in 2005 and is the only coach in history to win Coach of the Year in four different conferences. She's also an author of Choice, Not Chance, Rules for Building a Fierce Competitor, and her new book, Secret Warrior, A Coach and Fighter on and Off the Court, launches on February 16, 2021. She's an advocate for mental health and melanoma and is the founder of Coach P for Life. Joanne is someone that has a story to tell, so let's get started. Welcome everyone to this week's session uh, with Joanne McCauley. Coach McCauley, thanks so much for coming on the Holding a Ladder in Sport and Leadership podcast. Thank you for having me, Tim. It's a pleasure. Pleasure to be here. Well, thanks. And, uh, you know, I, I'm really excited about this one. Obviously, uh, uh, Coach uh, P has, has done an awful lot in this uh, industry, but um, has a great story to tell. And I'm looking forward to hearing more about uh, your story, Coach. So uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, um, I've been coaching for 28 years, uh, head coach for since I was 26. Uh, love my eight-year experience at Maine. I had a wonderful seven-year experience at Michigan State, culminated by the 2005 National Championship run. I love being recruited to Duke and had a really interesting 13-year career at Duke. Um, the business of developing people is what coaching is really all about. The championships are lots of fun, and the things we did at Michigan State and Duke and Maine were all wonderful in terms of championships and that type of thing. Uh, but it comes from the people and the staffs and and the transition. And I'm a second time author. This time I'm a real author, though, where I wrote the book myself and actually had a publisher. Great editors, by the way. Um, but I'm proud of that because my first book was with somebody, you know, Joanne P. McCauley with Rob Rains, who was terrific. Um, but the idea that John Kohler Publishing took me on and now I'm an actual main author from the great state of Maine, I, I think that's something I'm, I'm really happy with in the company of Stephen King, but really not. <laughs> Just kind of a joke there. Well, and and uh, Maine is known for some great, really, women's basketball is pretty big in Maine, isn't it? Yeah, it's it, we're very fortunate. Um, we grew from, you know, 400 fans, 500 to almost over 5,000. Uh, we really had wonderful student athletes from the state of Maine and also from other um, states. And um, it was a great learning experience for me. Again, I was young at 26. Both of my children were born in Bangor, Maine at the hospital there. And uh, that's really um, exciting for me and my husband. And I just can't say enough about the growing experience I had there, which catapulted me into these other coaching experiences. Now, are you originally from Brunswick, Maine, correct? Yes. Yeah, that home of Bowdoin College. Bowdoin College. I was actually married in the Bowdoin. John and I were married in the Bowdoin College Chapel. 
How about that? Yeah, I, I coached at Williams in NESCAC. So we, we made a trip to Bowdoin and saw the polar bear in the uh, yeah. in the lobby of the gym and everything. So yeah, I, I know that area relatively well. And my wife and I spent about till two months in Trenton, Maine in a uh, in our RV back nice. there, eight years ago. So that area is a, a great area. And, and we're, man, I, I Tell, tell me a little bit about kind of your journey, uh, you know, and really what kind of what where did you come from there? You, you played high school basketball in Maine and then you just kind of just went from there. Yeah, I was fortunate to be recruited out of Brunswick High School and I was really proud to be a parade All-American. That was a big something for me as a high schooler and competing in the state of Maine. Um, Love being recruited at Duke and Northwestern were my final schools that I looked at and chose Northwestern, but had a great opportunity to come around and coach at Duke. So it's, it's a fun story. Got my MBA in there as I left as the city of Chicago, where I worked in sales and marketing, went down to Auburn, got that MBA, met my husband, and then circled right back around to be the head coach at Maine. Um, so special times, really, really interesting times. Well, when you look back on your, uh, on your time in sport, I mean, it, course the 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 title of the podcast is holding a ladder um so tell me who held a ladder for you when you were growing up when I was growing up I again very fortunate to have a wonderful junior high program the late Alan Grafham was an incredible coach for me also my high school coach Fred Kerber so I came up with a high expectation we pursued state championships academics was very important to the team a lot of support by the community uh, and just, you know, again, girls basketball just taking off and the recruitment process was really interesting. My, my parents and my mom is British. Um, my father passed this fall, um, but both of them were supportive, but not basketball people. Uh, they, I chose basketball. They were into other sports. My mom was a British field hockey player and my father loved baseball and they enjoyed golf. So, so I found it kind of um, authentically and then never realized how much that orange ball could do for somebody. Travel, scholarships, meeting people. Um, I think it's a wonderfully diverse sport and it, it's an equalizer for all socioeconomic classes and, and different diversities. So I, I just thought, I just think it's a great sport. It is. And, you know, for me growing up in South Alabama in a trailer house on Grew up on welfare, government cheese, powdered milk, the whole bit, food stamps, you know, to have a, have sport be that vehicle really just to get out of that. And, and it really does kind of, for, for me and for my family, it's really impacted. And my wife, Candy, also grew up uh, relatively poor in Minnesota. And it's made a huge difference for us because we had a chance to travel as well and, and see so many things. So um, as far as your climb up the ladder in, in coaching, uh, did you have any particular mentors that just really helped you, helped you get uh, to the place where you're at now? Oh, absolutely. Now from high school, you know, going on and learning the coaching craft from Joe Champion at Auburn and also the Olympic craft of being a, a USA coach, learning from Tara Vandeveer, who is just one of the greatest coaches of all time at Stanford and still coaching. Um, she has a fabulous team, number one in the country right now. And one of my endorsers of the book, which I just love. Uh, but I, I, you know, Coach K was somebody I read about a great deal back in the main days. I resonated with him because of his military background. I'm a Navy brat. Of course, he comes from Army. 
And um, so I read a lot. I read his books and, and kind of thought a lot about him as a coach. And then just from there, been learning, you know, watching and learning and growing. And, um, you know, it's again, what basketball has done for me and my family and my life and my, uh, gosh, my values and everything has been just incredible. Yeah. And um, I, I think one of the, the, when you think about the, years you've been doing this. And obviously with your um, new uh, venture, obviously as a, as you called yourself a real author, I, I think you're a real author. If you, if you write with someone that doesn't matter as far as I'm concerned, but I mean, what, what's the biggest challenge in your daily life now? I mean, as far as what you do and kind of what you're trying to do. Well, it's wonderful. My husband and I enjoy Durham and we've moved into a new home, which is really special to us. We're both golfers and enjoy sports, being outdoors, tennis, um, all those, the skiing, you know, we like, we like to do a lot of things and a lot of things have been put on hold uh, just because it's a 24 seven, you know, coach by objective job when you're, you know, a head coach, especially at the highest level. Um, so I'm enjoying not rushing in the morning, getting my green tea and having a chance to look out the window and do my morning work or, you know, devotional writing and, and, you know, having much more time. And then of course, Secret Warrior has really taken on a kind of a project of its own. And we're both, I guess, semi-retired, but uh, I'm always open to coaching and I love writing. And this book was a labor of love, uh, telling a personal story, but also it's a book of loyalty. Uh, people that were loyal, especially student athletes. And um, it's a story that ne needs to be told, needed to be told. And the timing was finally right. Yeah. Can you, can you jump in a little bit about, about the book? It's, uh, it's exciting. It's coming up here in a couple of weeks. You'll be launching it. I can't wait to get a chance to buy a copy. Uh, tell us a little bit about it. Well, you know, it goes back to my coaching days at Maine. And I was a young person with just had had my daughter after a year and there were a lot of stressors at Maine being a young coach and the expectations. And basically I just worked really, really hard, too hard, uh, began to lose sleep. And bottom line has had some episodes too while I was at Maine, I was there for eight years. Um, and this was young in my career. I was diagnosed at 30 years old with bipolar disorder. And that diagnosis obviously caught me very much off guard and as a former student athlete, we tend to not believe our bodies can, well, our minds can be not <laughs> uh, being full or helping us or leading us to some degree. So we, my family, especially my husband, John, we went through a lot in those years and we continued to do very well on the court um, through support. I had great support, a terrific doctor. And then I had teams at Maine that were enormously special of great character and they stood by their coach. You know, basically they told administration that this is our coach, you know, you can't touch her. I mean, relative, there was a point in time. I mean, this is 25 years ago with mental health. And so there was a point in time I thought I might lose my job, not have a future in coaching. And there were donors and people, you know, lots of people trying to figure out the story. I was obviously a public figure and these women that are in the book uh, stayed by me and I tell the story. Some of it is through their eyes. And then of course, how that balanced me to a point of really being able to get the best out of me and, and the best out of others relative to the national championship run at Michigan State, 
or the elite eights and the excitement at Duke. And so it just, you know, you think back to where you came from, you think back to the people that helped you on that ladder, as you refer to, and it can be a variety of people. And in many ways, it's my own student athletes, you know, that provided that ladder uh, to be able to climb and, and to be able to part of special things. Wow, that's interesting. And do you, th- it's, that's the first time I, well, it's not the first time I've heard it, but I guess in some of my interviews and stuff, just to hear a, a coach say that their student athletes held a ladder for them, that that's powerful. Um, one thing I, as a sport informant psychology uh, professional myself, you know, the, and with, and my family has a, a background uh, with um, mental illness. Uh, for me, it was, I had my own challenges with burnout as a head coach. Uh, in fact, 14 years ago, I burned out as head coach at the division three level. And for me, it was something that took, um, well, first and foremost, a, a very loving spouse. Uh, my wife, Candy, really, <laughs> I tell you what, you know, I tell people I'm married up big time. Um, but the, the, do you think that there, do you think that coaches are, do you think that it's changed over the last 25 years? Do you think that uh, people accept mental illness uh, or mental uh, challenges pertaining to bipolar disorder or burnout or depression or any of these things? I mean, is it been more accepted? Well, I definitely think it's been more accepted if it doesn't directly impact you and your family. I think it's, you know, people are more educated, um, definitely. Um, but for me and my experience, it's not something I felt comfortable that I could share, even as the current Duke coach back in the spring, for example, or there was no time in my career. And I was counseled that in order to really tell the story and write the book that I needed to be out of coaching because of negative recruitment, because of ignorance, um, because of a lot of things about mental health. And, you know, mental health is a beautiful thing. Uh, it's mental impairment. Uh, that really is the issue. And examining how we can become mentally impaired is really important. Um, So I think that things have changed. I think there are stories, but I wanted a deeper story. You know, there are people that have come out with bipolar or anything like that, but that's sort of where the story ends. You know, it's like an excerpt. You've seen them in People Magazine, you know, people kind of, but, but there's not as much explanation is to the road, um, to the dark road that you go down and how you become to see the light at the other side. I mean, there's not a lot of pulling through. And then some of the stories or many are really um, desperate stories or stories of non-success, of you know great unhappiness in people's lives, um, lives that are changed dramatically because of mental illness. And so my, my um, life hasn't been a fairy tale or anything, but I've been to the depths of wonderment about myself and my mind, uh, deep, dark. And then I've also really followed through with doctors and my medicines and my coaching and my therapy and all of that to get to a point of incredible balance. And one of my doctors was pretty funny. She said, you know, Joanne, we talk about impaired mental health. She said, well, basically everyone in this country has a little bit of that. And she was saying, based on what you've gone through, you're actually one of the most balanced people I know uh, relative to what you can offer as a coach, as a mom, as a parent or whatever. So I thought that was an interesting assessment uh, that this doctor gave me because it did. It gave me a lot of confidence 
Uh, not that I was super special, but that, you know, she was like, yeah, you do have special powers. You have an intuitive and an ability to read people and to do certain things. And so anyway, um, it, it's been a long journey. And I thought of writing the book back at 39 after that run, that magical 2005 run. But I also felt that I had a lot of coaching left in me. So now at 55, I, again, I'm a writer, an author, I'm not retired. Um, and it's been wonderful to catch up with people and see the kind of support that I've received. You know, Coach Kay endorsing or Coach Izzo or Nick Saban or Tar Vanderveer, Reggie Love. A lot of different people have kind of come forward and said, yes, I would like to endorse this book. Wow. Well, and obviously some really big names there that you just mentioned. And, um, you know, uh, I, I think that for me, at least, and I'll keep it brief here, but I, you know, I, I think that we have to realize that uh, everyone has something to give. And I think that even when in the challenges, in fact, I think that coaches that may go through a challenging time uh, have the opportunity to teach through that challenging time and make a bigger difference many times than the person who is quote unquote perfect when it comes to everything. <laughs> who's perfect, right? I mean, seriously, who's perfect in this world? And, uh, uh, you know, I, I know with the support you've had, and, and, and I'll say this too, for me, that when I look at being, uh, I wouldn't say I'm out of coaching, but I would say I'm certainly, I don't have a team right now. But the one thing that I do have is a group of people that are folks that I, I mentor, right? And the uh, question I would have would be, you know, when you look at, you, you obviously still mentor your former players and people that are around you. I mean, when you think about folks that want to go into sports as a profession, whether that's coaching, administration, marketing and sales, uh, media, you name it. I mean, what are some of the skills that are really necessary, essential for success in the field of sport, the sport profession? Well, I think that's a great question. And, you know, your communication skills are absolutely critical. You remember those classes in public speaking that nobody wanted to take? Um, some of those obscure classes, um, social psychology was one of my favorites, uh, situation, person, evaluation, um, being able to, of course, public speak, uh, but primarily you need a passion. You know, you've got to have a passion for sports in general. Um, it's different kinds of levels. I'm not sure I could be an administrator. I hesitate <laughs> on that because of, if things seem, tend to move slowly um, and coaches have to have a level of impatience to go with the patience of teaching um, because you've got to be impatient. You basically got a five-year contract and you've got to show progress and do interesting things. So Again, I think it's critical to follow your passions, to really think about what they are, to make sure they're authentic and coming from you, and then to realize that money or resources will follow if you follow your passions. I mean, once upon a time, I made $42,000 per year at the University of Maine. Um, people, and actually, I was an assistant coach for $22,000 at Auburn, you know, back in Auburn, Alabama. And I remember people say, oh, you know, you have more resources now and you do so well and, you know, you make a large salary. And, and that was true for my latter years. Um, but, you know, you work by objectives. You work 24-7. I've never wanted to see the hourly rate of what takes place. You know, so again, I followed my passion to, to really get into developing people and what that was like and got my master's degree and married a PhD. So kind of you know, got on the academic side of things. 
but you really have to love it. And, you know, you, there are tremendous compromises, you know, with family and gosh, I barely ever had a holiday. You know, you think about Christmas and New Year's was always taken um, just every holiday, really, except for I, I really like Labor Day. That was a good one. <laughs> and, then, and then Memorial Day. Um, but Thanksgiving, Christmas and, and New Year's was always taken. And you incorporated your team. I mean, you were together with your team, but but still it left for very little time, uh, you know, to do other things. Oh, yeah. You bring up the uh, pay. And I uh, I coached the high school girls team in the Austin, Texas area about uh, seven, eight years ago was my final year. And I remember my wife said, you know, Tim, you make less than zero an hour. Like I, I was losing money, you know, but, but when you think about it, you know, uh, as a coach, you're always, it does, the money isn't a lot of times people think, especially if somebody's gotten to a high level, you know, you make a good living. Uh, but ultimately uh, if you had the option of having opportunity to uh, win a national championship uh, you probably, or, or be involved in it. I mean, you know, for me, I, I do a lot of work pro bono now and it's that passion is part of who I am. And I, it, it, you too. So. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I'm hoping to start a mental health foundation. Um, I, I am going to start one. I've got some money set aside, but I'm also taking Secret Warrior and really hoping that people will step on board with pre-orders and, you know, the purchases. It's only $16.95 for the soft cover. You know, part of my dream for that would be, you know, psychology and psychiatry and, and in medical school and residence and people actually reading an authentic story about bipolar, which is different than learning, you know, in the classroom or in textbooks. And, you know, I, it, it's not a matter of just like hitting athletes, young people, but could I, you know, could I be in a high school psychology class? Could that be part of the reading? Um, again, a resident, could that be part of the reading uh, to really kind of broaden, as I talked to my own psychiatrist, to broaden and, and sort of redirect it a little bit um, because I still think people walk on eggshells. And I do think I have a, definitely a tie to sports, right? Young people that might have to take medicine. Um, there's been some really difficult stories. I've, I've seen some suicides. I had a former teammate. Uh, her daughter took her life by being misdiagnosed um, as an alcoholic, but really she had a more of a mental health issue. And people can self-medicate. And in that self-medication, that can cause enormous problems and breakups of families and, and sadness that's beyond belief. And so from my standpoint, I, I really hope I can make a difference somehow. Uh, I'm not sure how that is directly, but could I be a consultant? Could I be a phone a friend? You know, somebody that randomly can talk to me and say, Coach P, I, I, you know, I know a bit about your story. And, and people will listen to people that have been to the depths you know, down there in the darkness. And, you know, they want hope and motivation and inspiration. You know, and I'm, I'm glad you touched on that because I, I do believe um, that coaches are the greatest storytellers on the planet. Uh, I really believe that. Uh, folks that I've worked with through the years, Harry Sheehy is the athletic director at Dartmouth now. I worked with him at Williams and that guy was just an incredible storyteller. And I believe the power of the story makes a huge difference in this industry, especially in my world in sport and form psychology. If I can share a story of what I've gone through, then it, it helps connect with somebody who may be, be struggling with that. And, um, 
so so as far as your uh, in your line of work uh, for all of over thirty years, um, you've obviously met a lot of great people through the years and folks who have endorsed your book um, coming out here February sixteenth. But the do, what's your take on networking as far as building your network and doing it? I mean, can you tell me a little bit about kind of how you've done that through the years? Sure. I mean, again, lots of great opportunities to meet special people and accessing those special people and being able to ask the question, you know, what can I learn from you and what can we learn from this relationship and spending some time developing those relationships because it's just so much fun to be in coaching. I mean, I, I was with Nike for 27 out of my 28 years, um, obviously a very long-term relationship and you know, those are powerful and you want to continue to build on them as much as possible. And in the same sense, you want to have the confidence to come back and say, hey, you know, look, this is what I'm doing now. And this is the kind of coach I want to be as my coach P for life moniker, you know, takes over my social media. And, and can you help me now? And you have to be willing to go for the ask, you know, to be reconnected again, maybe in a different forum. Um, but I loved, you know, I spoke for Nike. I love being connected with coaches. I love sitting and hearing stories. And I think coaches are great storytellers. I, I call it connecting the dots. And my team's always made a joke of that because metaphors and things like that are a little bit harder these days with some of the millennials. And, you know, they don't really always want to hear that. You know, back in the day, we did this and that. This is how it connected. But I would always say to them, well, we're going to have to connect the dots on this story. And I, I think after a while, they got kind of used to that. Um, so relationships, you know, that's what life is about. You know, when you run from relationships, you run from really the wholeness of life. And, and faith, I think, is very important as well, your personal faith and, and how you work through that. Um, there's some faith, uh, obviously, components in this book. But I think it's the personal relationships. How do you reach out? And and basketball allowed me to reach out to people that I otherwise would have never met, you know, from different, you know, friends from Brooklyn, New York, you know, to traveling to Taiwan, you know, to living in Auburn, Alabama, back in the day. I'm not sure I would have lived there if I wasn't following my passion uh, for coaching at Auburn. So there's, there's a lot of stories like that. Oh, sure. And, you know, that, and that's, that is something I, I think, to myself, you know, uh, to be a young person that grew up, well, not young anymore, I suppose, but growing up in South Alabama and Robertsdale and, and have the opportunity to um, be in, in the business I'm in now and to have the leadership opportunity I have now, I think it, it boils down to relationships and, and genuine ones. I think, yeah. why is that important? Well, I, I think that it's the only way that you can effectively be, I guess, is feeling comfortable with people. Um, I have to ask you, were you roll tide or war eagle? Well, at, I, you know? <laughs> I, I don't know. You may, you may uh, hang up on me, but I, because as a former Auburn person, well, my dad went to school at Auburn and, and flunk, okay. he famously flunked out and then ended up in the Vietnam War. And I'm an army brat myself. I, I was born at Fort Rucker, Alabama. My dad's okay. an army aviator, but uh, yeah, I've been a Tide fan my whole life. I, I, I almost went to Auburn actually, surprisingly. And, um, but yeah, uh, growing up down there, uh, and for anyone listening, if you're 
born in Alabama, you have a choice at, at the first day of kindergarten. Are you for Auburn or are you for Alabama? And oh, it starts young. And I really got a sense of that. And the Iron Bowl, I was able to, you know, go to a few of those. And my story is kind of interesting because I am an Auburn grad with an MBA. I was part of the first class of the MBA program at Auburn. And I met my husband who's getting his PhD in economics. And of course, loved Auburn. And we went to Final Fours and all that. But as I got later in life at Michigan State, I got tied into Nick Saban. And one of my stories, we talk about stories, and I really like the story, is being the only female ever to sit in on a Nick Saban meeting. Oh, wow. And I went and spent a day and shadowed Nick Saban. I had a friend who co connected me to him. And, you know, we had common thinking about the process, you know, and the, the process in coaching and a, a little you know, commonality in the philosophy of how you teach and not being outcome driven, you know, no scoreboard mentality and all these various components on how you get people to think in the moment and enjoy the process of what they're trying to achieve. Anyway, so I identified with Nick and, you know, got to know him through that day and took in a practice and um, boy, that meeting was really cool. It was oh. forceful. It was fair. Um, it was complimentary where, where it needed. And then there were issues and I just thought, wow, I am so glad he was authentic. He did not hold back, you know, and I was like, this is cool. You know, yeah. and, I, and I think because you have to have passion about things and, you know, you can't be sensitive and soft and, oh, you know, take things personally. I, I think that that's really not a good thing when you get to that space where you're personally taking everything. And I, and I never did, I mean, growing up in the Navy, and, you know, I always looked at things like, wow, you know, that person's passionate. And anyway, that was a great treat for me in one of my special stories. And I'm absolutely thrilled. Nick Saban was the first person to endorse the book. Oh, um, my goodness. So that, wow. meant great, that meant a great deal for me. And I had to catch him, you know, before the season started, before the first game, because I knew if that season started, you know, the people that work with him, the women in his office, the people that are, you know, part of supporting him, uh, they were very clear, like, we got to get him now. <laughs> we got to make sure this quote works now because otherwise he'll be on a tear and as you know he is on a tear to another yeah, title and I think it would be a seventh yeah I believe you're right Alabama, yeah but he picked up one at LSU yep um prior so I don't know pretty fascinating uh that success but I get a kick out of my Auburn Alabama thing um and liking both which people think is absolutely impossible well, and, and of course, uh, being a, a, a native Alabamian a, and a proud native Alabamian, um, you know, I think that when we when we look at that rivalry, it, well, for starters, it's it, it's everything that's good and then some crazy stuff, you know, <laughs> that that happens. But ultimately, you know, some of the great leaders in sport history, whether it's Pat Dye, um, Shug Jordan. Uh, Bear Bryant, um, Ray Perkins, who just passed away. I mean, there, there are some great, you know, folks that have uh, walked through that that position as head coach, but also in the athletic director role at both schools. And um, one thing you brought up, I just wanted to touch on real quickly, and it, it's the feedback aspect. You know, I, I'm a college professor and uh, over a doctoral program of 500 students and I'm over 50 faculty members. And so I stay pretty busy. Um, and they got to read the book. Wow. That's 500 people. That can, <laughs> yeah. That can read. Woohoo. Wow. Yes. 
That would be impressive. Okay. Yeah. So, so for me, for me, I have such an opportunity to uh, impact people in terms of their uh, ability to, dare I say, climb the ladder to the success of earning their PsyD degree or their PhD degree. Mm -hmm. And for me, I give feedback that's pretty honest. But do you find that, I mean, tell me this real quick, if you don't mind, from 30 years ago compared to now, do you think that um, folks that are in the classroom, on the court, course, field, whatever, do they accept feedback <laughs> as easily now as they may have those 30 years ago when you first got into this? Um, it's, it's different. And I think it's changed a lot relative to, and we all talk about social media. And I think that one of the things that's so impressive is how fast this this uh, group of young people can move through social media and make it work for them. And I was just telling my kids that we did, you know, I had a typewriter, you know, with a whiteout. We didn't have computers at the time, nor cell phones. I think the problem with it is the anonymity relative to, gosh, you know, getting on Twitter or doing some of these things and not being held accountable for what you say. Uh, that's a tough one. And the thing about it is if you're not held accountable for what you say, then you're going to be less likely to listen if somebody has something to say to you in terms of feedback. And when I was younger coach, I mean, there's no doubt the coach was revered more and understood to be sort of the authority on the way things were going to go because it can't really be a democracy um, too much because a decision has to be made in a very tight amount of time, especially during a game, a substitution or a timeout or things of that nature. Um, but it can be collaborative. You know, it's always collaborative because you're taking input from your players and your, your staff. So it's collaborative, but a lot of people can offer solutions, um, I'm sorry, problems, but not the solution to the problem. And that's what head coaching is. Head coaching is, you know, choosing the solution in a heated moment in front of 20,000 people and going with it. And so getting back to your question, I think young people today, again, there's, there's just a little bit too much for me where there's tiptoeing around what we say and what we say can be so turned against us in ways that people become afraid. You know, literally it's that, that sort of scare tactic about language. You know, if you say this, you are this, if you say this, you know, I always say that actions speak louder than words. And I believe that wholeheartedly and somebody can say words that they don't mean you know, that they, that they hadn't thought clearly, but, you know, what is your action over the course of your career? You know, what have your, what have your actions been? How do you treat people on a daily basis? And I think those actions matter. So I, I think there is a change uh, and you have to kind of weave through it, uh, communication. And I've always loved the elite players, not because they were so talented, but many of the elite players are really interested in the truth. And they might argue with you about it a little bit more because their, their, their confidence is high. But boy, it's fun to negotiate that with them and get to truth. And, and there are some players, you know, I always said, if you don't hear me as much, it's probably because I don't think you can hear me, you know, and handle what I have to say. And there, therefore, you're not really, um, if we can't impact you and you're not open to it. And I think experience matters. I think if you have no experience, you're a very different person with experience. And I think sometimes the young folks want to jump in, you know, without experience and be like, oh, you know, I can do this, um, <laughs> which is probably very true. Um, but there's nothing like experience. 
And I've always had an older staff member on my staff. I've always had somebody older than me who had a different viewpoint um, because of age. And I, I recommend that highly. Um, I did not want to be the oldest. Um, and for a while, it was easy to do that when I was 26 and 30 and 32. But then as I got to 55, I was like, wow, I'm really becoming the elder here. And I don't know about that. So, um, you know, I hope that people will listen. I think listening is a great skill. I think feedback is important. And, you know, they can kill you on the evals, right? If you're tough on them, oh, you know, he doesn't understand and doesn't do this right or, you know, communicate this correctly. And I do think that's funny. Again, evals should never be um, anonymous. You know, put your name to it. If I am, you know, Joanne and I have a problem, I should be able to say I have a problem. And yes, you can trace it back to me and we can have dialogue about it. So conflict is part of the equation. And if you run from conflict, well, then God help you. I mean, your life would be very, very simple if you run from conflict. And so we, we as coaches, as you know, and as mentors try to teach that. Yeah, no, I agree with you on that. When you look at I actually challenge my students in a, I'm very firm, but fair. And I, I think that in my world where I'm teaching people who are going after a degree that only four and a half percent of Americans have, um, I tell them, look, you, you're the cream of the crop. You know, uh, I don't know. I, I, a lot of times I tell people that just because you're in a doctor doesn't mean, necessarily mean that you're the smarter than other people. You might be a little bit crazier, I suppose. But uh, in terms of being willing to be passionate to go that far to get it done. For me, I've always just said, look, you know, this is a pinnacle. This is something that not everybody gets to. And if you want to get there, I'm willing to guide you and I'm going to be tough. And if you can accept that, then I'm going to get you to the place where you need to be. Uh, can, uh, and so I think that um, it kind of goes to the next question. It's pertaining to, um, you know, when and you've been in this business for a long time and you've been involved in sports for so long, not only just as an athlete, but um, obviously as a, a high level coach, what's one piece of advice that you'd give to someone deciding to start a career in sport? Again, it goes back to, okay, what's your passion? You know, what's your direction? So I would definitely want to question that person as to the whys, you know, where's the why and why we want to pursue this and what, what is part of my background and what can help this occur. And then what's missing in my background? Um, what, you know, for me, when I was making a decision to go to graduate school, I got into Vanderbilt and I also got into Auburn. And I remember my father asking me, well, what exactly do you want to do with this sport experience? And I said, well, dad, I never, you know, I played in the NCAA tournament way back in the day at Northwestern, but I never got to a final four or national title. And I said, you know, I really would like to see what that experience is all about. And he said, well, then you just made your decision. It's got nothing to do with location. It's got everything to do with people. And yeah. the head coach at, you know, Auburn had already been to a national championship and was doing incredible things. And my dad's like, well, seems like you need to drive your cranberry Volvo <laughs> down, down to Auburn, Alabama and find out what it would be like. And so I think you have to have, there are no boundaries to where you may have to go, right, to find what you want to find. And I think people are funny if they say, well, I want to do this, but I want to do it in this city 
and I want to do it this way and I want to do it like this. I mean, come on, you, you don't have, that's not how you make decisions. You make decisions based on people and how you can be mentored and then maybe how you can offer mentorship. But so for me, it was like, okay, the main girl who's been in the city, um, living in the city, doing the city clothes sales kind of thing. Well, she's going to Cowtown. She's going to Auburn. <laughs> Auburn, Alabama now. And, you know, where cow tipping was actually something people did. <laughs> you know, I mean, and, uh, you know, I can just remember just the places. I mean, it, it just, it's obviously now it's a very different place. And it's yeah. crazy. And, and meeting Charles Barkley was one of my favorite things. Bo Jackson and Charles Barkley. Uh, those were <laughs> definite highlights for me. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I think you have to probe people about their desires and how they plan on getting there. And if I had not been bold enough to up and leave Chicago, I mean, I wouldn't be sitting here talking to you today um, in this fashion. So there are no boundaries to where you may have to go. And if you're driven by the almighty dollar, well, then just go into sales, you know, and try and try to make quota and yeah. live that kind of life because dollars come through passion. And that's something I've always talked to my kids about. Um, that's how it comes around. So I think I would have that kind of discussion with someone. Oh, wow. About it. Well, and I, I want to jump on this really quickly. Okay. Um, it seems like every person I talk to that uh, tells me the story of what they, when they got started, they bring up the car. Okay. <laughs> and I, I'll give my quick car story. All right. Yours was a purple Volvo. Mine was uh, my wife and I driving. I was a Bible college coach in Kansas City, Missouri. I'd stepped down and I'd taken the opportunity to go work at Williams College in Massachusetts. And my wife and I were completely pretty much out of money. We're going to work for nothing out at Williams. Okay. And uh, I was finishing up my master's degree at U.S. Sports Academy. I needed 360 uh, contact hours and a mentorship there. We jumped in our Hyundai Elantra that had a donut on the right front uh, wheel. It had a cracked windshield. The stereo didn't work. The driver's side door didn't work. It was <laughs> shut stuck. And, and I've every, it's funny, uh, coach, I, I talk to people and they bring up the car and that's the thing I find very fascinating because I think every person has that, like I had my 1983 Toyota Tercel that I drove all through college and drove up to New York to work at Rackle Lake camps when I was a college kid and, and everyone has that story. So I just had to jump on that just briefly. I thought that's awesome. Uh, cause I think, I think again, storytellers, uh, I think coaches are great at that. And so the final question in, uh, today, and, and this is one I ask everyone, you know, when we talk about people holding a ladder for us, uh, the question I have is, um, and, and you're doing this through your book, but how, how do you hold the ladder for others? I mean, do you have other players, former players that reach out to you and say, hey, Coach, I, Coach P, I need help with X or, you know, how are you holding the ladder? Oh, I, I think that's a special time in someone's life where you can really hold that ladder and encourage people uh, to keep climbing it and getting past boundaries and issues. And I'm very fortunate to have former assistant coaches that are head coaches, you know, at UCF and Buffalo and um, Detroit, women that have worked for me and that are now doing it at that next level. And then I have former players, you know, that are coaching, whether it's at Campbell or Michigan State or Hartford or um, James Madison or, or, or wherever. And so you love your coaching tree or your, you love your tree. Um, tree of life, you know, tree of connection. And, and you just, 
make sure you're available. I, I tell them now, like, look, you guys, you can call me. You know, you have, you're the one on that tight schedule. So give me a call and I touch base and, you know, call them. And, and then, you know, then I think you have to lead by example. I'm, I'm hoping this book, you know, Secret Warrior is very personal. I'm very vulnerable in the book. Uh, there are details there that some people might be like, wow, you know, that actually happened or, or Coach P actually went through that and might be surprising. And so I think you need to be vulnerable, willing to communicate and, and just enjoy, you know, anything you can to move people forward. And, you know, sometimes you're talking to corporations and it's that kind of thing um, where you can bring in dollars for a foundation. And as you mentioned, pro bono, sometimes you're just, you know, you're just helping people out and there's no expectation other than what you can offer them. And, you know, I do think you have to think about a calling or think about, I do think that question of why we're here and why we do what we do, I think it's relevant and very relevant to motivation and to giving yourself a clear sense of principles that you need. Um, so again, I love this ladder thing. I'm kind of, you know, I'm in the caboose now, right? You know, like <laughs> you're driving the train for so long, but you always knew it was a special team where the coach could be put to the caboose, you know, and, and everything was being generated from what's in front of you. And I've never forgotten that. And not every team I've coached ever got me to the caboose. Um, but now I'm perpetually there. And it's quite a view, you know, looking out the back of the train. You know, you, you see a lot um, looking out the back, speeding along. And um, I hope Secret Warrior, I just hope it helps. I hope people say, wow, you know, to share the story. Um, Amazon, Barnes and Noble, let's get those pre-orders going. Um, let's help the story, you know, with others in any way that it possibly can. Yeah, I was, you just uh, you just jumped ahead of me. I was going to ask, how can someone get Secret Warrior? And you just uh, brought that up. So, you know, going to Amazon, going to Barnes and Noble, uh, those are the best places to go to uh, get the book. Get the book. And, and also know, too, you can come from special places. You know, it's not HarperCollins and Random House where I originally thought, oh, my gosh, you know, you've got to have a top publisher or wh whatever. Um, I found the best fit for me and the best people in John Kohler Publishing. And uh, the way he was taken with my story, that again, that authentic connection, uh, not getting caught up with, I mean, I actually went the wrong way. I didn't get an agent first. I wrote the book, found a publisher, and then have swung back around to a PR firm because I couldn't trust with the story. You know, so again, you don't have to go from A to B to C. Uh, things can come A to Z and Z to O and, and all sorts of directions. Again, if you really evaluate people and see what their authentic selves are and how people can connect. So anyway, it's really cool to make this connection with you, Tim. And yeah, well, thank you. And, and you know, I think one of the things, that, uh, a great way to per perhaps close for anyone that's listening, you know, one of the things when it comes right down to this profession, this profession is not a straight line. This is a squiggly line. It's all over the place. You know, you, you a lot of times people think that, uh, just because you have passion, you're going to go from point A to point B and then C and D, but you may actually get knocked off a little bit and end up having to stay put a little bit and uh, and then pursue it again. You know, I, I think for me, um, that's something that when I got to the place where I felt like, man, I'm not going to be able to coach anymore um, as a full-time college coach, I thought, man, that's what am I going to do now? But ultimately, it, what happened was what's happened to me now. And I think that um, 
And what I also believe is true is this, is that we all have a story to share. We all have a story to tell and we have an impact that we can make through what we've done in our life. And I appreciate you being willing to share your story today. And for anyone listening, please go out and let's see everyone go out on February 16th. And let's, well, you can pre-order the book now, but it launches on February 16th, Secret Warrior. And um, Joanne McCauley, thank you so much for taking time out of your very busy day to spend it with me. And um, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much, Tim. And I wish you the very best. You've got a great voice. And wow, you're going to be really good at this podcast thing. Well, you know, I'll let my wife know that because she's been trying to get me to do this for a long time. Thank you so much for the compliment. I appreciate it. <laughs> and great all questions right. too. I mean, oh, thanks. All, all, of the, all of the above. Wonderful. Thank you so much. Well, thanks everyone for listening. We'll uh, talk to you again next week. Have a good one. Thanks for listening, and until next week, I challenge you to hold a ladder for someone to climb to greater heights than they ever thought possible.